0: Profit Constructors presents Construction Junction, the junction between accounting and construction. Please welcome our host, Tanya Schulte.
1: Hello and welcome back to this edition of the Construction Junction podcast. I am your host, Tanya Schulte. And I am so excited to be talking to you today about a topic that we've actually discussed before. So uh, there's a couple of things at play there. One, this is a topic that's very near and dear to our hearts and something that we think is very important for uh, both accounting firms and construction firms to be having the conversation around. Um, And of course, this is the construction junction, the intersection where accounting and construction meet. So uh, we're going to talk to you about uh, some IT information. So, why is IT important to begin with? Why is cybersecurity important? Well, for one thing, you're going to want to make sure that your accounting firm um, has vetted their IT firm quite well and knows what they're doing when it comes to protecting your personal financial information, your business's financial information, anything that you're handing over to your accounting firm. Do you know when you hand it over to them if they have good cybersecurity? So that's piece one. You want to you want to vet that. You want to make sure. We're going to be talking about some new compliance rules that have come into play. Um, there's something new that the FTC, it's actually not new. Uh, there's some information about um, some new compliance uh, rules that FTC has in place that has been around for a long time. I keep saying new, I keep using that term new, it's not even the case. Um, there's something that's been around for quite some time, uh, but really the FTC is going to come down hard and now on uh, some of this compliance. So that's important for you to know about. And it's Not just important for you to know about this so that you can understand if your accounting team or your accounting firm is following the rules and regulations that the FTC is putting in place, but as you'll find out from one of our guests here in just a little bit, it could be important to you in the construction space. You may need to be reaching out to your own IT provider and finding out if you're covered when it comes to this new, not so new, FTC compliance rule as well. Um, So I want you to pay close attention and, um, you know, think about whether or not the information that you have in your system might fall underneath this new FTC regulation. But also again, we're just going to be diving in and talking about um, the basics of cybersecurity, why it's important, why accounting firms need to be paying a lot of close attention to it, and why you as a construction company owner, if that's who you are listening to this podcast today, need to make sure that your accounting firm is really paying attention. So Without further ado, let's take a quick break, and then we'll dive in and chat IT and cybersecurity in just a minute with a couple of my good friends.
0: Are you a construction accountant or industry advisor who is enjoying the Construction Junction podcast, but wish you could dive deeper into the topics with industry peers and even learn more about how to serve your clients well? Then you would enjoy the Construction Junction Roundtable. Our host, Tanya Schulte, leads the Construction Junction Roundtable, where we bring together construction company advisors to learn how to grow their business. We'll help each other find effective marketing strategies and bring high-quality accounting services and other high-level advisory services to the construction space. Head over to roundtablelab.com to sign up.
1: welcome back to this segment of the podcast where we are talking about technology and as promised i am bringing andrew lasise from tech for accountants in. andrew thanks so much for joining us today
0: anya thank you for having me on the show again
1: years
0: ago was the last one
1: yes well i'm so glad that you came back obviously the fact that you're back means that Uh, Our firm really feels like this is an important topic, right? This is something that people really need to be thinking about and getting right. So kind of tell us what Tech for Accountants does, and then we'll dive in more and talking about IT.
0: So, I mean, at at a high level, it's cybersecurity, and we've niched into the accounting world to bookkeepers, tax professionals. But really, I mean, IT is IT is IT you know, at a high level, it's really sort of a plug and play cybersecurity for firms that just, we realize that most people, they don't understand it, don't want to deal with it. And they just want it all under one roof and they just want it to work and be easy. And so that's basically what we've tailored our offering to is just here is everything in one spot and we just handle everything for you.
1: So a couple of things that you just made me think about that I kind of want to touch on. You used the word cybersecurity. I think that in this day and age, we all kind of think we have an idea of what that means. Um, Because everyone knows what cyber is now, right? We've all, we're very acclimated now to doing things on the World Wide web. We're very acclimated to emails. Like we've come quite a ways in in that. But when you say cybersecurity, Andrew, What do you actually mean by that? Let's define the term.
0: Yeah, that's actually, that's a good question. So most people, there's a giant spectrum of it. And so some people are in the camp of, my computer is a Windows and it came with Windows Defender. So I have ultimate cybersecurity because I have an antivirus. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where you have your like full enterprise in this super granular, Ability to see every single thing that's coming in and out. So I mean, cybersecurity—the way that we see it—it's more of like the holistic. What levels and layers you're protecting, because there isn't just a, buy this thing. I'm just using Norton because most people are familiar with it. But there isn't like a silver bullet. Buy Norton, and now all of your security is 100%. Because I mean, you know, there are data breaches and gigantic companies like, you know, do you think American Airlines forgot Norton? You know, like how how do these things happen? So it's about hitting, protecting on all these different angles. And so cybersecurity is a holistic, uh, how you're stopping all of the threats that you can basically imagine and it's ever changing.
1: I really like the example that you brought up because it seems like almost every day and i've had this discussion in a couple of the mastermind roundtable groups that i participate in it seems like almost every day now you hear some new report of some major company that's had a breach including companies that you would think like there's no way that company like last pass right like the the master password software that you know i don't know hundreds of thousands maybe millions of people are using to protect their passwords and keep all of these passwords Like some of these companies if you just think there's absolutely no way that they would ever have a breach, but they do, right? So one of the things that you just mentioned is there's not a silver bullet. So to that point, how do you guys kind of help your clients manage that? Are you there for both doing as much preemptively as you can and when something happens? How does that work for you guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, we try to focus it. More of being kind of like the bookkeepers on your cybersecurity, just instead of doing bank wrecks, we're doing cybersecurity wrecks <laughs> of here's a new vulnerability and we're gonna patch it. Here's a new vulnerability, we're gonna patch it. So if someone in the company is using the computer and okay, that threat comes in, it was just blocked and nothing happened. So like when we're doing a good job, it's basically nothing is happening because on the back end, we're identifying these vulnerabilities and stopping the issues from happening to begin with. Now, we still have, you know, most people are familiar with the reactive, like a geek squad kind of thing. You know, I click the button. It doesn't work. Can you fix it for me? And so the reactive break fix model it works it works well in like a residential sense of okay you know how much data and I mean I kind of say this like with an asterisk of gosh everything is <laughs> online now but you know the the impact that a single residential person having a data breach non business owner n- assume they don't have access to you know, all of these different things, like the impact of that versus, say, a firm that has thousands of customers and having to explain to all of their customers that, sorry, we didn't have the proper protection in place. And now our reactive thing is we have to disclose to you that we didn't protect it and great news we have to pay for credit monitoring for the next year for you because your identity might get stolen because of us so it's more important to have sort of that proactive just don't let the problem begin with also there's the piece of you know when your company is down you're not able to do anything there's, there's a giant opportunity cost there Yeah, Then you have to play catch up and then maybe you're paying overtime and all these other pieces that come into play. I mean, just just an easy example. Um, This was six, seven years ago. Lesson learned. Um, We we had an Internet outage in our office and we had six offices connected 40, 45 employees. And, you know, when the Internet goes out, you don't know when it comes back, it could be in a minute, it could be five minutes, 10, 20. And it was down for four hours. And like, I did the math afterwards. And like that four hours of being down, then the catch up, then the apologies, our phone system was on VoIP. all of these things that happened because we didn't have two um, internets running at the same time, which, yes, it's an extra $60 a month, but the downtime of just that one instance, and this is just the internet is down, right? This yeah. isn't We had a massive data breach, and everyone's off It's just the internet's down, and this is annoying, was at least ten thousand dollars, yeah. and and we didn't, you know, there was no upside to it. Yes, we saved sixty dollars a month for however many months until that happened. But, yeah, you're know, in that situation. It's like, pay $5,000 and this stops. You're like, take my money. Like that, that meme with like a Futurama. <laughs> Just like, take my money.
1: Take my money. I think you and I've talked about this before, Andrew. Like we both are in that same boat of helping people um, avoid problems, right? And so it's unfortunate because for both you and I, people end up showing up on our doorstep when there has been a problem instead of companies thinking through whether it's their accounting and bookkeeping or their IT needs, companies don't often look at either of those very proactively. And then they find themselves at crunch time going, man, I wish I would have thought of this sooner. Right. So one of the things that I think is interesting and what kind of drew our firm to you is that when you guys made the decision to lean in and go after the niche of accountants, you took a look at some compliance, type issues um, and some things that the IRS requires um, and other types of compliance work that you guys do. And so you're making sure that for your niche, for the accountants that you work for in the same way that the profit constructors is making sure for our niche of construction clients, like that you're taking care of what's necessary there. So tell us more about what you guys do when it comes from to a compliance standpoint.
0: Yeah, so that was something that it kind of, it's funny, my own accountant who um, is not a client of ours. We have like 3,500 clients and my own accountant isn't one, which it's probably better to keep them separate anyway. But regardless, um, he had brought to my attention that there were these new regulations and what are you guys going to be doing about it? And so, you know, I looked into it and it's like the IRS, this is 2019, and the IRS had put out new publications saying tax preparers must have the, this whole thing. And so it was new in the cybersecurity world. And, you know, we had maybe like five accountants, just like we had clients and some of them happened to be accountants. It was just, this person happens to be one. It wasn't anything specific. And so we started looking into it and I'm asking in like Facebook groups, like who's doing compliance on this? I need help and just no one. Nobody was doing it. And then it was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just lean in and figure this out. And, you know, over the years, we've, because we're working with a lot of the same clients that are, you know, everybody's different, but there's still a lot of similarities in like the type of people that are bookkeepers and tax professionals. So, we get to know our customers because a lot of them have the same interests and the same feelings and the same. So we weren't trying to cater to all of these different things. Yes, we could take our security and it could go onto virtually any industry. However, if you are a chiropractor working with us, we can still get it done, just like any IT company could get it done but we don't know the nuanced things of when you're in Cairo touch that you have to click down here. Whereas someone says, okay, I use QuickBooks online and we're like, okay, I got it from here. You don't have to explain anymore, which because all of our clients are using things like that, we can triage and solve things way faster. So our clients have a better experience. It's easier for us on the business side to do training, because there's like 20 softwares that you need to know versus every software on earth. And then if there's an issue with someone, anybody on the team can help them because everybody's doing the same thing. And then we tailor the products that we offer to the types of people that, that we're working with, that they want it simple, they want it good, they don't want to have to learn all these things and handle on their own. Now, if we were working with other IT companies, the whole simple, easy to learn, that's that's not something that's appealing to them. So we always have a disconnect internally that our techs are like, we should get this product. It has all the bells and whistles. And I'm like, you realize you're going to have to support thousands of people that don't understand the bells and whistles, right? And they're like, let's go for Simple. And our clients say, we want Simple. And yeah. so everybody's in alignment.
1: you're you're making a point so before we got on today, as you and I were chatting, you had mentioned that you're a big fan of Mike McCallowitz and his book The Pumpkin Plan. And you're making a point that he makes in that book. Um, and you know, we don't have to go into it in great detail. I would recommend to anybody listening grab that book. but it's a um, the point that you're making is that when you choose to niche, you're, you're making a choice around who your ideal client is going to be. And so for you guys, that meant uh, an accountant niche. For us, for the profit constructors, that meant construction, right? And it meant um, even more so as we lean into that, it's meaning more and more of trades, specialty, subcontractors, those types of- um, Right, you you, know, like- you learn yeah. that
0: there's even deeper. So like right. now, years into it, we're like, man, tech for accountants, that's pretty broad. Yes. So you know, Back then it was like, That's all of them. They all—all of you guys are all the same, right? And then it's like, gosh, man. I mean, we could have an entirely different company for bookkeepers, an entirely different company for CPAs, entirely different one for enrolled agents. I mean, there's the more you dig in, the more you understand all those little things and those little irks. So when you're speaking to your clients, prospects they know that you know what's going on so you know tanya saying to you the irs requires these things you're like okay yeah I do taxes so right. it doesn't apply to me but the rest of the world's like yeah but you're an accountant you all do taxes you are right. all cpas right <laughs> and yeah. you all do the irs and it's it, we didn't yeah. know that either coming into it It was just right the irs says this and but it's a good framework regardless of whether or not you're legally required yes from a governing body but i'm sure you see that when you're doing books with construction companies that i'd imagine there's tons of things that go on with like financing and cost of goods sold and fulfillments and all these other things versus like we'll go back to the chiropractor example where i'd assume most things are in and out cash basis and it's not yeah. as complicated, and like you said, with trades, you're digging into, you know, the the plumber is not going to have the same thing as a GC, right? Like, but you guys are in the same world, and it's like, but you're not.
1: No, there's tons of things. So um, we recently, <clears throat> excuse me, we recently had a um, client approach us. Who's interested in software? And they asked us about a particular piece of software that we work with all the time, Noify. And when they put forward the whole situation of uh, what they needed, I told them, I don't think that Noify is the best fit, but here's another software called Red Team that I think would be a great fit. And for us, having the integrity to say, you know, that particular piece of software isn't a software that we necessarily touch or have processes built around, let us help you find. Another accounting firm that does right and so again it's not about like. um, gathering all of the work like I have to take all the work that comes my way, no, there are plenty and you know I lead the construction junction roundtable. There are plenty of other accountants who are in the construction space that have other expertise that other uh, software's that they have processes built around like. there's plenty of work to go around and it's okay to say this is my ideal client. And I know their language and I know how to build processes around what they need versus just throwing it out there. Like we'll take everybody that comes through the door and then trying to help, you know, then you, like you said earlier for internal training, then you have to have your staff now learning a brand new software. How much time does that take? How much of opportunity cost goes into that? Like, there's just so much around why would you want to go into a niche and design everything around that one niche or even sub niche? It's so important
0: yeah and then the the sub niche of that you know we work with there's a handful of other like it specifically for accounting firms and like we work hand in hand with them so it's like okay you're small business owner accountant you're you do bookkeeping and what size are you and then there's some that are like too big on our side and then too small on other people's sides. And there's crossover and stuff, but someone approaches us and they say, well, we have 45 employees and we're considering in-house versus fully outsourced and things like that. Yes, we're capable of handling it, but a company like TechGuru is like built for that. And so it's like, that introduction makes a lot more sense and the client's going to be happier. And like you said, you maintain your integrity. Plus, God forbid something goes wrong because you didn't know what you didn't know. Yeah. And then, and we'll just keep the podcast sponsored by Mike McAlowitz. <laughs> about it. I I it was it was either Pumpkin plan or Profit first, but um he said he took on like a giant project that was way out of his realm and then completely butchered it and got like a lawsuit and all this stuff and it was like all because you did something you shouldn't have been doing so right. understanding exactly who the person that you want to work with is and then tailoring to exactly what they're dealing with and some people you know they want generalist and they want you know the person down the street because it's a person down the street so therefore that makes them trustworthy and then other people they want someone that knows very 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 specific how to help that specific type of person. and one of the things they don't talk about this much but you know people are like there's um people will say, oh, I want my child to be successful to be a doctor or a lawyer. But have you ever met like a lawyer that's just like I am a lawyer, I just lawyer around, right? They all have yeah. very very specific types of law that they practice, and so if that's like the really high paying, and same with doctors, you know they all have specialists, and the general practitioners are usually referring out to specialists because they're not able to to be able to assist with the more important things. And like, you have a neurological issue, you're going to go to a neurologist for that specific thing. right? It's important that you get the correct information from the correct expert.
1: And to that point, typically, I won't say that this is an across the board example, but typically that specialist is going to be able to charge a higher price for his services because of their area of expertise. And you know that when you're going to the neurologist, he knows what's going to happen in your brain, right? So, like, you're able to say, this is the value that I'm able to put on my services because I know this thing inside and out. And I think it's the same in in a lot of different fields when you're able to dive off into that area of expertise. Yeah.
0: I mean, so your pricing can be higher than like Joe competitor that isn't doing the exact same thing. But, you know, if you, not only on the top line but the bottom line because there's so much less time that is involved with everything that happens so you know the neurologist example you come in you say i have this problem and he goes boom 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 okay thanks for five minutes that'll be a schmillion dollars you're like well it was only five minutes and it was like no it was 20 years of learning right to get five minutes But it still was only five minutes of time. So it's very profitable. Yes. At the end of the day, I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. Like the top line's fun and all, but like the bottom line is really the only thing that matters.
1: Yep. You're absolutely right. All right, let's take a quick break. And then I want to um, bring in someone else who had some, I think that we'll get into some more questions and talk about um, exactly how you work with clients too, Andrew. So we'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: If you would like to share your company or product on the Construction Junction, please email hello at theprofitconstructors.com.
1: All right, welcome back. So, along with Andrew from Tech for Accountants, I now have um, Michelle Mitchell here joining us with Mitchell Consulting. Michelle, thanks for for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tanya. I really appreciate being on your podcast. Yeah, and so, like, full disclosure for everyone listening to the podcast, Michelle and I have known each other for quite some time. We are in a roundtable mastermind group together where we talk about our firms and, uh, you know, kind of try to help our firms both be better in different areas, right? So thanks for joining us. I'm super excited to have you here. Um, so Michelle, what are what do you currently do when it comes to IT and cybersecurity stuff? What do you guys currently have going on? So we currently do have a tech stack
2: for um, managing passwords and managing um security on employees' laptops. Um, but it's not well, I had an outsource person and he moved, so um, he was local. So I don't currently have anyone, um, but we are managing, uh, we do have policies in place for our, our IT and you know how our um, employees can log on to different systems and using two-factor authentication uh, and things like that. I do do training on phishing emails and you know just being very conscious of like we are entrusted with clients um, information and we should not be sharing that information and how we should be logging on and logging off and and things of that nature so that's what we are currently doing
1: yeah that's really good i like that you brought up the point about policies and procedures um, Andrew, you and I have talked about that before too, right? Like it's one thing to have Andrew and his team working for you in the background. Mm-hmm. But if we have employees that are sort of working against them yes. <laughs> in our own office, um, tell us more about your training. How, how do you, what are you telling your employees? So for my employees,
2: I'm I'm telling them like our clients have entrusted us to do well for them. Right. So we should respect that. That's part of our jobs to do yeah. that. So um, you know, for instance, going on public Wi-Fi, like you can't work on public Wi-Fi. That's just a no-no. You need a VPN in order to do that. Um, which you know gets me to like my in my personal life. Um, my husband is always connecting to somebody's Wi-Fi, and I'm like. Please stop. (laughs) Please. You know, but he doesn't have the same type of um, weight or responsibility that I do. I will never join a public Wi-Fi. Um, So those are the types of things that I do in our uh, monthly like training, like when it comes up for IT stuff. Um, those are typically some of the things that we talk about with the team. Yeah. How to safeguard our passwords, how to use long passwords um, and things like that.
1: I was so at the Scaling New Heights uh, conference, accounting conference that we were just recently Mm -hmm. attending. I was sitting at a table early one morning while some of the sessions were going on. I was doing some work and someone else uh, that we know came over and sat down and she said to me, are you logged on to the conference Wi-Fi? And I said, no, I was logged on to my own hotspot. And she goes, Mm -hmm. that's because I was about to say, if you did that and you were one of my employees, you would be fired. (laughs) Right. That intense. Yes. Yes. It it, is. That is
2: that important because it's, it's our, it's like our due
1: diligence. Right. So exactly. Um, Andrew, when you guys are Onboarding new clients, is that something that you offer, something that you guys talked to them about in terms of like helping employees understand the magnitude of that?
0: Yeah, it's funny that you um, are bringing up security awareness training. So in our stack, historically, it's been here's some email training and here's things to look for, and it was just a, you need to have it and here's some information. But just this past week, like, and and Tanya, you know, um, Nick, who like, he's, he's like, too smart. Like, that's, that's like the good and bad thing. Like, he's, he's too smart. Yes. Anyway, so he's the director of technology at our company. And um, we started digging into ways that we could implement having a security awareness training. So we're working now with a platform where they'll send uh, video trainings and then it has tests afterwards. And then the employer can see, okay, my employees have viewed this, they have taken the test, they have passed this. So it's not just in a, you got that email, didn't you? And you did it, didn't you? But now it has like its own home. So we've been testing, as I said before, we test all of our stuff internally to make sure that if it breaks and is on fire at least it's our problem to solve and not um putting it on the clients but that's like rolling out and you'll for sure be part of that uh tanya on the rollout but um that's what we've i mean literally like five hours ago we were having like the full announcement to the team that like this is the one we're going to be moving forward with and we're because everyone's been getting them for the last couple weeks of yeah three thousand different things to learn
1: you mentioned nick i i loved at your booth at scaling new heights all of the little gadgets that he was showing everyone i don't know michelle if you got yeah i didn't see (laughs) you
0: uh it is like I work in this industry and like the stuff he shows me, I'm just like, that exists.
1: He's like, you
0: know, if you charge your phone with this cable, your entire company would disappear. And it's like, what do you mean? And he's like, yep, here's this crazy virtual blah, blah, blah. And look what happens. And just like plugs in a wire and like, everything's bad. Yeah. yeah. And
1: the crazy part too, I was standing with um, some friends of mine that also use the tech for accountant service. We were just chatting with Nick because we all happened to know Nick and he was showing off some of these things. And so one of the guys that was standing there uh, started to ask, well, how much does someone have to pay for that? Like, you can go online and you can order these things that are to hack specifically to hack into someone's uh-huh. world. And they're like $150, 200 bucks. No. Wow.
0: Yeah. And like you have to know what you're doing ish, but just ish <laughs> like it's it's not so, so complicated. Like they have instruction manuals and like reddit and stuff. and <laughs> like if if you want to to do some harm, you know, we have to have like that that uh, I solemnly swear that I am up to good clause in our <laughs> contracts because I mean, just like with you all, you know, it's your clients are trusting you. Yeah. And, you know, it unfortunately puts a target on your back because you have a lot of access to a lot of very sensitive, very important information. And if you're not doing your part to safeguard it, Mm -hmm. and you know, there's people on all sorts of all different sides of it where, well, I bought Norton, so I have full cybersecurity that's the same that the NSA uses. And then you've got people that actually do have all of that and are like, what else can I get? And it's like, nothing else exists on Earth.
1: <laughs> Michelle, when you because you said you used to have this is some outsourced IT help. When you uh, did have that outsourced IT help, how did you how did you vet them? Like, how did you know for sure? That that was someone good to go with. Was it like Andrew was saying, "Well, I knew them," or how did you kind of decide who to use for your IT?
2: Well, so- I knew them through someone I knew, uh, and I knew he worked. He actually worked for a cybersecurity company, and he was just doing. You know, he would help small businesses like set up laptops. And and that that's what my initial need was because I'm like, oh shoot, I hired an employee. Dang, I gotta get them a
1: laptop. <laughs> you maybe it should be
0: protected. <laughs> <laughs> maybe
2: Maybe I should be able to monitor it, make sure their software is up to date. You know, so he really educated me on a lot of things you know, um, about that when I, when I hired my first employee, you know, so that's really how I found him. And he sourced the software and he was like, okay, these are things you need to be doing, you know? So until we've gotten, until I learned about the new regulation, that's what we were doing, you know, I thought we were good to go. Yeah. But, you know, my eyes were open with the new regulation. So we're
1: so trying to figure say that out. new mm-hmm. regulation for the, the FTC safeguard, the, yeah, yeah okay. everyone that's listening to the podcast, so FTC okay. safeguard. So, Andrew, let's start with you. What is this new FTC regulation? What is it? And then how do we need to be in compliance with it?
0: So... I mean, if we go back, it actually started in like 2001, 2002, and it just sort of existed as like, here's what you're supposed to do. And like, you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And that was just sort of it. And then yeah. last year, they had made an announcement that at the end of last year, so December 22, you needed to have this gigantic list of... um of cybersecurity requirements. And then just kind of like what they do with taxes, they realized come December, there wasn't much, um, like no one was compliant. So then they added a six month extension, which still like not a lot of people were aware of. And so June 9th was like the deadline to have all the cyber compliance in place. And so now we're sort of in this limbo of we think it's going to be kind of like how HIPAA was where they're going to go after somebody to like make an example out of them and you violated HIPAA and we care a lot about HIPAA so like here's a giant lawsuit to make everybody else uh, fall into place with it but the organizations that are required to do it are companies that collect financial information and so this actually does apply to trades if they're doing financing So Mm -hmm. like an HVAC company that finances an AC unit falls under the FTC safeguards rule as well. Mm -hmm. So accountants, bookkeepers are sort of like an obvious one because like you're dealing with finances, banks, credit unions, and things like that, where you would think, okay, they deal with money. And so it all falls under here, but contractors fall under it as well. If they offer financing, which a lot of contractors do when they're dealing with bigger um you know purchases and not just you know a little like little thing here and there so it applies to anyone's collecting financial data and there's different requirements depending on the access that you have and most most um accountants bookkeepers like if you have quickbooks online and you can see your clients customer list
1: you have access
0: Yeah. 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 So like our accountant, if he was, if we were his only client, we have something like 23,000 records in our QuickBooks. Like he has to comply with it, even if we were his only client, because it puts him over the uh, threshold. Right.
1: Yeah. And sorry, go ahead, Michelle.
2: So Andrew, can you talk about that a little bit more? Because the way I understood it was that there's a Threshold that you have to meet in order for uh, the safeguard to pertain to you, if you have five thousand or more clients.
0: Yeah. So the word is consumers, and the five thousand number is consumers that you have access to. So in in the trade world, right. It would be mostly like your vendors and your customers that you're dealing with. But in the accountant world, you're dealing with your clients and the clients of them. So, and it's not a, if the 5,000, um, applies to you or not like that threshold is just different requirements. So the five thousand and below, which are smaller firms, like you know, less than a hundred clients, mostly, you know, we see people falling under it usually if they're on the way to retiring. They only have a few friends and family that they still do returns for, where it's not really like they're handling businesses and things like that. But the FTC is going to still require. Uh, Levels of encryption. They still want you to have a uh, information security program, which has its own slew of uh, requirements. And then the 5,000 plus that's going to fall into a whole lot of extra, extra software. But a lot of people they just look at it through the lens, Michelle, like you had mentioned that. Well, I don't have 5000 customers, so that wouldn't apply to me or people say that do payroll and you have a handful of clients, but they all have their own employees. So each of those count as a record as well. So it's it essentially comes down to any personally identifiable information, which can be it could be an email address, a phone number. The street address, something that would specifically point to a exact person, a first name last name combination, usually would suffice. Um,
1: I will say I'll throw this out there. So one of the things that made us realize, Michelle, that we fell into that five thousand or above plus in terms of access to consumer records, when we have a lot of clients that come to us that have been doing business for twenty or thirty years and they will send us their QuickBooks desktop file for conversion. Hmm. When you've been doing business for 20 or 30 years and you have a QuickBooks desktop file that's old, not necessarily 20 or 30 years old, but a lot of these guys have been in QuickBooks desktop for a long time, instantly we've met that threshold anytime or, we a conversion client like that.
0: Yeah, or if they just have like their server computer and they give you like a team viewer access or, one of those things that's not really secure, but we know people do it. So something like that, where, okay, just remote into my, into my server and do my QuickBooks, uh, during these times, do the reconciliation and things like that, having access to that file, that opens up to everything. Cause you basically just imagine if somebody sat down at your computer, what could they say? So there was actually an accounting firm in New York. Their name escapes me. It was like an acronym like ABC, something like that. And so they had the data breach and they had basically like a team viewer access to a medical center to um, see all of their patients. And so the accounting firm gets hacked the medical center then also gets hacked because they had the access. Then the patients of the medical center filed a class action lawsuit against the accounting firm that caused the breach. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I definitely understand on the like, well, I don't have 5,000 clients. So this isn't, you know, that's for bigger companies that have, 5,000 plus, and I think in everyone's head, they're like, I'm really not that big. Like I said, we, we have something like all time, like something in the realm of like 25,000 clients in the last 10 years. And, and I'm still like, we're not that big, like, I can't believe this would apply to us. And like, we don't do financing, but like all of our clients are accounts basically. So like, we follow it as well, just because it's like, be kind of, be kind of a bad look if we didn't do it also.
1: So when you guys come in to set up the compliance, Andrew, um, kind of walk us through that. Like is it what what do you guys are what are you guys putting in place for the folks that are going to be needing to be in compliance with that new FTC ruling?
0: So um essentially what we do is work with the clients from basically like a blank slate because we try to just be here's everything in one spot. And big advantage for clients when you do that, you don't have to pay for subscriptions on, you know, Carbonite and don't have to pay for Avast or all the different software, Nord. So we come in and just put business grade security for all the things FTC wants to see. So that's gonna be antivirus. It's going to be a firewall or um, VPNs on the IRS requirements uh endpoint detection response uh intrusion detection systems so these are things that most people aren't even really familiar with and but they're all listed as part of the requirements and we actually made a guide that we give away and it's like 60 pages on how to do it yourself and we have sources on there because we've done these things before where okay here's all the requirements and then people would say like no it's not this is crazy this is overkill so We made sure in this one that we just put sources next to all of the requirements because it's all listed on the FTC website. So we'll come in and basically upgrade all of the software that's on the computer. And so the advantage for the clients, one, the financial, you don't have to pay for all those subscriptions, but two, coming back to that niching and having all of our clients, basically having the same setup means We know that if someone says, I can't log into the Bank of America anymore, it says, my client's Bank of America, it says error, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, we know that because you have an HP that was built before 2019 and you're using a vast secure line, that that's going to be an issue. So we know that we white label or we whitelist this url and so it makes the solutions a lot quicker so we come in and we do our onboarding of we are going to put all of the security that's required on all the computers for all the employees and jennifer called it rush techify which is like our parent company and i think that's like the best (laughs) the best way to describe like we rush techify i mean we basically ftc (laughs) require fi Yeah. We we rush techify the computers. Yes. Yeah. On the full security.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Jennifer is our operations manager. So yeah, that's what, when we recently called and said to them, okay, guys, we need to be in compliance with the FTC. That's exactly, exactly what she said, because I think the beauty of that is like, Jennifer and I don't have to understand what the requirements are. And we don't have to understand at a high level, I can say to you, Andrew, okay, what what needs to happen and what are you guys going to do? And we can have a conversation that you and I just had. And then you guys can go rush techify the computers and we don't have to.
0: <laughs> right, right. That exactly. for me is
1: the beauty of it.
0: Right. So you guys don't have to like create, a. and honestly, like so much of this stuff is like above my head too. Like Nick would be great at like explaining the like technical details, but it's like, oh, like our clients all need intrusion detection systems, which it's just, think of it super, super antivirus on super steroids. And like, it's not just something you download and click next three times. You have to go through like an entire process of like, you download this image and then you create a Docker instance and then you do a whole bunch of Linux and then you set up this portal and then send out this installer link and make it unique to your clients and compliance requires that it has these things checked, and that we monitor this, and and all this stuff, and and Tanya, on your side, you're just like, okay, you guys did it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's essentially on my side too. Like I've been, I've run through it a couple times, but it's just like it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I I know what the requirements are, and I see that the requirements are happening, but the technical craziness of it, and you can buy it from a provider, and they charge five hundred dollars a month a firm. For just that one piece of software that's required. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And like on the cybersecurity side, like I get it. Like, yes, it's great. It protects in all these ways that most people don't think of. But it's also like it's $500 a month for one piece. And there's like 20 other pieces that you also need. So yeah. it's going to be cost prohibitive for most people. And But again, since we're playing in a very like small area of the types of people or firms that we work with, all of our clients need it. So for us to put in hours and hours and hours getting it all set up for the first one, the deployment on the others is a lot easier because we've already put in the work. Now we have people in all sorts of different industries. Are we going to put in all that effort to read the 70 pages of? FTC compliance requirements and have attorneys like pick apart the things that we're giving away for free and like our you know it just wouldn't make sense if it wasn't if it was just for like a one off but so we're investing really heavy in making everything work for everybody that works with us and required and also it's good protection
1: yeah Michelle, when you first heard about the FTC requirement, you kind of said, you know, you felt like you were just sort of going along and everything was going to be great because you got a plan and you had this guy that taught you. Mm-hmm. What, um, did it freak you out when you heard about that or did you think I can handle yeah. it? What kind of was your thought process?
2: Well, my thought process was one, um, I I read the FTC compliance, like ruling, and I'm like, my first thought was this can crush small business, you yeah. know, because this is a lot for a solo, a solo accountant, you yeah. know, and what is is cost prohibitive, but yet the fines are so high that you have to do something, and maybe your cyber insurance won't cover it if you don't have it. Yeah, you know, so those are the questions that, uh, were going through my head when I first heard about it and it was in the may, like, I don't have time to do that.
1: Yeah. You bring up a really good point too, in terms of cyber insurance, because, um, you know, I don't know how many firms out there these days have it, which I highly recommend that you Mm -hmm. do, but the insurance companies at the end of the day are gonna do everything in their power to not pay out if you have a claim. Oh, absolutely. And so if they can poke any holes in and say, well, you know, here's this FTC thing and it happened, you know, you had to be in compliance by June 9th and you weren't like, of course, they're just gonna be like, nope, nothing doing, right?
0: They'll also double the rate even if you don't use it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's because the ransoms keep getting higher and higher and like people keep clicking on it, but like, our cyber insurance, and I get it, like, we've got a target on our bank, like, it makes, it makes sense, but like, our cyber insurance, I think it, like, quadrupled last year, and it's, like, we, we haven't had a claim ever, but it just quadrupled, because that's the world, yeah, and we work with cyber insurance companies that will basically say, like, okay, you're a client of theirs, like, we know you're good, but they'll send um, clients to us to audit basically, like, do they actually have good security? And nine times out of 10, and I don't even think it's, it's people's fault that they don't have all these things in place because I know it because it's my livelihood. But you know, if there was some new law in bookkeeping, it would never cross my radar. Right. You just, it wouldn't, it's part of my business and it's not part of my life. It's important, but I don't do it. So unless someone else, you know, one of my peers is bringing it to my attention or an organization that I follow is bringing to my attention. Like, how would you know? Like literally the FTC, it, it started in either 2001 or 2002. Yeah. And people still are learning about it for the first time after not only the deadline, but also the extension deadline and-
1: Oh, for sure. And to your point, Andrew, I brought it up in the Construction Junction Roundtable and one of the gentlemen that's a part of our roundtable said, I can't believe that I'm hearing about this here. He is a CPA. He belongs to the AI CPA. And they weren't saying a word about it and so he was actually even sort of pushing back on what i was saying that things that i learned from you andrew because he was saying i don't really feel like it could be that big of a deal the aicpa isn't telling me it's that big of a deal and then maybe like a week later he came back he's like well tanya i did find this one article sort of buried on the aicpa website like but they're not making a big deal out of it and i was like well i'm telling you have you read the ftc ruling he's like yeah now that i understand more about it i think you're absolutely correct but at the same time it was like Here's this large group of CPAs, and they weren't making a big deal out of it.
0: Yeah, we we actually ran into that quite a bit. You know, come crunch time, just like you guys probably see, like at the end of January, where everyone's just like, oh, you know, 1099s. By the way, you can the deadline's tomorrow, right? You've got you've got capacity right now, right? So like, so yeah. like you're you're January thirty first, like June 9th was that for us, and like the amount of people that they would, they would come to us and say, it doesn't apply to me because I'm a member of the New York CPA society and they never mentioned it. So it's not real. And, and it's like, I mean, I don't know what more source, like a .dot gov <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, I don't, if, if you don't want, to do it you know you're you're allowed to break the law like yeah. just hopefully i mean and- the biggest problem the biggest problem with anything is if something were to happen and you have to explain to your clients why their data is in someone else's hands and it's your fault saying well the New York Society of CPAs didn't make a big deal about it. Right. So I know it was legally required. But I chose not to because people weren't making a big enough deal about the law. And I decided not to do it. Yeah, so, so, I mean,
1: it's not gonna know, fly. But to your point, you know, you mentioned earlier, like some of our trade plans <clears clients throat> that are doing financing would also need to be in compliance, is anyone even telling them? So hopefully those folks that are listening to this podcast, if that's them, if that's you, Mr. Podcast listener, you know, uh, find out. I mean, do your research and find out if you do fall in and need to be in compliance with this as well. Because again, back to the same point, Andrew, that you're making, and when—and the point that you made, Michelle, earlier, this could put a small business out of business. It's, It's always the case. You and I deal with that all the time, Michelle, that There's compliance issues is often what comes back around to bite people. And it's often compliance that they didn't even know they were supposed to be doing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And like on our side, when we were putting together, like, what will the price for this look like? It's like, we had tried to make it as affordable as humanly possible especially for the smaller firms, which make up like 60% of our client base is just solo or with a person that's a contractor, something like that, like a big chunk or smaller and just, okay, it's like, well, intrusion detection systems is $500. And okay, the IRS required all of these things, but didn't require these. So I mean, you could have us plus this $500 a month software, and then it's like, yeah, it would be a deal if we charged $400 per month extra for one person. But like, so it was like a struggle on our side to find any way for like, I, I have a daughter coming, Tanya, I, I told you this at, at scaling, now I'm excited for it. <laughs> now yeah. I'm excited. So uh, in in a couple of days, we'll be we'll be introducing, we still need a middle name, but her name's gonna be Scarlett, her first name.
1: Oh, I love that name.
0: But she'll um, you know, I, I'll have to pay for like a wedding in college. <laughs> and like this FTC thing is like crazy expensive. And it's like it's crazy expensive for us to yeah. fulfill it, not to mention like the laundry list of compliance and policies and. They put a lot of pressure on the IT companies, which, you know, on the IT side, it's like, oh, I don't want more compliance and work to do. But it's honestly like on one hand for smaller firms, some of it's overkill, but also like. It's coming ish from the right spot Mm -hmm. of making sure that your clients are protected, Mm -hmm. really what it comes down to.
1: And like I mentioned earlier, it's always surprising to me when. It's some of these larger tech forward firms that you would imagine could never experience a breach. But like you said, there's targets on their back too. So I understand that from that standpoint that people want to go after the hackers. It's almost like a game even at that point, right? Like,
0: Oh, look, I, I could hack into last or whatever. Well, that's, that's how like the hacking world started as just like an ego thing or, Hey, look, look what I did. Look what I got into and then like come like early 2000s it was like the pop-up ads and the viruses and the computer's going slow and then 2013 comes around and they discover ransomware and they're like we could make way more money just extorting people than we could with slowing down their computer because you know your data is worth so much to your company so you know, I mean, that's where it is now, but even even people that aren't big with a target on their back, you know, like you'd get an email list of a million accountant bookkeepers, and you send a phishing scam out to a million of them, and if 0.001% falls for it, yep, you've just got a six-figure payday off of a blank email list. So, you know, the big firms, yes, they have a target on their back because there's a big bounty, but also there's the low hanging fruit of, I could send this out to a ton of people. And if one person makes a mistake one time that also
1: can work. Yep. And they'll take whatever they can get. This has been a really good conversation guys. Um, of you being there. I hope that, um, my microphone's doing something weird, but I hope that, uh, you know, folks out there listening got some really good information and value out of this conversation. Um, It's good stuff to know. Thanks guys both for being here.
2: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Construction Junction. To find out more about the junction between accounting and construction, please email hello at theprofitconstructors.com.